262 CP, Bayonet Point, WTBN, Pinellas Park. Portions of this hour have been pre recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. Now, I know that sounds harsh. I know that sounds, that, that sounds hard, but that is absolutely necessary if we're to be saved. You first have to see yourself as a vile, guilty, godless wretch. You first, in other words, have to be crushed, crushed by God himself and shown the truth about yourself before you'll see your need for Christ. There is no greater privilege in all the universe than to be a citizen of God's kingdom. Yet in order to become a citizen of his kingdom, we must humbly renounce our allegiance to self and sin and acknowledge Jesus Christ as our King and Savior. The gate into the kingdom is low. No one can pass through it without first falling to their knees. We welcome you to another edition of Verse by Verse as we broadcast another insightful message from Steve Kreloff, the pastor of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. We are currently enjoying a series on the teachings of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Today, Pastor Steve will be concluding his thoughts on what Jesus meant when he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Let's join him now. Now let's stop here and and consider this. At one time, Paul tells us he was a self-righteous religious leader who thought of himself as a pretty big deal, as an uh, an accomplished man, a man who was rich in religious deeds and, and religious achievements. But he came to see his own, I want you to see this, his own righteousness and religious accomplishments for what they were called. In verse 8, he calls them rubbish. Rubbish. You know what the Greek word rubbish means? It can either refer to human excrement or garbage, leftovers, trash from a meal. It may be that Paul is referring to to both in this case, but that's how it's used in, in other literature. In either case, it accurately reveals how spiritually bankrupt Paul was and and how bankrupt he knew he was. That the best he had to offer, and folks, this is not the worst he had to offer. This is the best he had to offer. He said God considers it as valuable as manure and trash. That's precisely what he means by this. And you know what? Paul never forgot how spiritually destitute he was apart from Christ. Even years later, as a mature believer in the Lord... He said in Romans 7:18 that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. His riches now were the riches of Jesus Christ and salvation. He said to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1:15 that he was still the chief of sinners. Not I was the chief of sinners and I'm a whole lot better now. I recognize I still am the chief of sinners. Folks, every one of us comes into the kingdom the same way by bowing low in humility before a holy yet merciful God and admitting that we have nothing to boast of before him, that we are spiritually bankrupt and penniless. You have nothing, not a few cents. You have nothing. You're penniless. Practically speaking, you know what that means? It means that our pride, before we can be saved, our pride has to be dealt with. Our pride has to be dealt with. That that all the things that we once boasted about, such as family heritage, our nationality, how people are so proud of their national and and ethnic backgrounds, our education, I have a master's degree, I have a doctorate, I have two, three doctorates, that type of thing. Big deal. Rubbish. It's trash. It's like manure, Paul said. 
We boast about our career accomplishments. I'm at the pinnacle of my career or our self-discipline or, or our moral responsibility and respectability or our religious contributions, our wealth, our natural temperaments, our um, positions in life, the achievements of our children that people are often so proud of, uh, about and our grandchildren. Listen, to be poor in spirit means that you come before a holy God and you are empty-handed. Empty-handed. And that's the only way of entering into His kingdom. Those who try to enter the kingdom of God by contributing to their own salvation, whether it be through, through a good deed or baptism or church membership or tithing or extra tithing, they're not going to make it. They're, not gonna, they're turned away because the way into the kingdom is by bowing low. That's why being poor in spirit is the very first of the Beatitudes because it's the foundation of all the rest since it addresses the very first step a person must take in becoming a Christian. Jesus said in Matthew 18, unless you become like a little child, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, what do you mean by that? Becoming like a little child. Well, he goes on to say, whoever humbles himself as a little child. That's what he's talking about. That one is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. See, to enter God's kingdom, you must come like a humble child, admitting how, how helpless and, and weak you are. You can bring nothing that he's impressed with. As long as one continues to cling to, to some hope that by your own efforts you can enter God's kingdom, you won't. You won't. That's, that's the paradox. To gain, you must admit that you have nothing. And then you gain Christ. Let me put it this way. Until you stop being a braggart and start being a beggar, you can't enter the kingdom of God. You can't enter his kingdom. That's why those who become believers have to first be stripped to their pride. And often that is a painful process where God shows you that you are nothing. So many who have come to Christ will say that God brought me through such a trial in life. He took away health. He took away business. He took away wealth. He took away sometimes family. And I was stripped to nothing. And then I, I saw by His grace and by the work of the Holy Spirit that I was nothing but a vile, guilty, godless wretch before Him. Because these other things were once crutches. They, they covered up what I really was. They, they were substitutes. And, I, and they disguised what I really was. I thought this made me something, but I realized without them, I'm, I'm nothing. Even with them, I'm nothing. Nothing. Now, I know that sounds harsh. I know that sounds, that, that sounds hard, but that is absolutely necessary if we're to be saved. You first have to see yourself as a vile, guilty, godless wretch. You first, in other words, have to be crushed. Crushed by God himself and shown the truth about yourself before you'll see your need for Christ. But listen, once God humbles you and you enter his kingdom as a destitute sinner by trusting Christ alone for his salvation, then humility will be present in your life, even as you still struggle with pride. And every believer struggles with pride. But listen, unbelievers don't struggle with pride. They don't struggle with pride. Believers struggle with pride. There, but there is, in our, in our makeup and lives, humility, even when it's not perfect. See, humility and brokenness are marks of all citizens of the kingdom. That's why the Bible describes humility as characteristics of uh, a characteristic of those who who have a relationship with the Lord. For example, Isaiah 66 verse 2 says, "To this one I will look," meaning this one I, I have a relationship with, to him who is humble 
and contrite of spirit who trembles at my word. That's the kind of person who doesn't think he's, he's big stuff. He trembles at the Lord's word. He's humble. He's, he's broken. Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. There is a lowliness of mind. And those, I might add, on the other hand, those who are characterized by, by arrogance and pride, and I mean soul arrogance and pride, to the point where there's, there's no humility there. The scripture says they are outside of a relationship with God. They have no relationship with him. Proverbs 16.5, everyone who is proud in heart, meaning only proud in heart, is an abomination to the Lord. That's the condition of your life. No humility, just proud of your accomplishments, a braggart, then, then you need to examine yourself to see if you're really in the faith. Because if that speaks of you and only that speaks of you, then you have never become a citizen of the kingdom. And yet it's interesting, in light of these truths about humility and spiritual bankruptcy, the trend among believers today and churches in the United States is just the opposite. I have to tell you, dear folks, it's just the opposite. Today's typical American evangelical church tends to be self-centered and self-absorbed. Their focus, for the most part, and I'm talking about the trend now, the focus is not on exalting Christ and his riches. The focus is on exalting themselves by self-fulfillment. How do we know this? All you have to do is go into a Christian bookstore and see the latest teaching that's out there by American Christian authors. It's, it's for the most part, about achieving something for yourself, success, self-image, happiness. Listen, even weight loss. You want the Jesus plan of dieting. You go to a bookstore, you could find it. It's all about self, how to make yourself better. It is, it is absolutely rare to see a new book by an American Christian author on such topics as humility, taking up your cross, self-denial, discipleship. I mean, they're out there, but, but I got to tell you, they're uncommon and, and pretty much rare these days. They don't sell like, like others. There's not a big market for them. Instead of stressing how rich Christ is and how poor we are, today's emphasis is on making ourselves happier and better people. It's all about us. And you know what happens when the church fails to address sin and fails to stress spiritual bankruptcy? It doesn't happen overnight, but eventually she begins to fill up with unbelievers who are very comfortable in the pews because nobody's talking about sin anymore. Nobody wants to offend because you might lose tithers to another church. So you wouldn't want to offend them. You want to tell them things that they want to hear. You want to, in the words of Paul, tickle their ears, tell them everything is all right and, and make them comfortable in hopes that they might come to Christ. But I don't know how they can if they don't know that they're sinful and they don't know how, how bankrupt they are. You tell them that they're fine and there, there's really, eventually they're going to conclude, I am fine. There's no need for Christ in my life. I've got it. Just associate with these fine people and I'm in. You know what? That is precisely what appears to have taken place in the first century in the church of Laodicea. I want you to look in your Bibles, the last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 3. Jesus addressed seven churches in Asia Minor, uh, what is today, as I said, modern day Turkey. And, and in chapter 3, verse 14, he begins to address a church in the city of what was then called Laodicea. This ought to be an eye-opener. This ought to be a sobering 
look at us because I think the typical evangelical, I'm not even talking about liberal church now, but the typical evangelical church has either become this or is moving to this realm. Verse 14, to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God says this. This is Jesus speaking to his church and speaking through the angel is probably the the pastor teacher, the primary teaching pastor of the church. Here's what Jesus said to this church. I know your deeds that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I'll spit you out of my mouth. This church, as I said, was located in the city of Laodicea. And one of the things that Laodicea was noted for was its putrid, tepid water. Horrible water, lukewarm water. People were told who visited the city who were not used to the, the wretched water here, custom this yuckiness, they, they often would take a sip and then just spit it out. It was that bad. Well, Jesus is informing the church that they had become just like the city, the culture that they, they were in. They were not, he said, spiritually cold towards him in the sense that they didn't openly reject him. They had some kind of profession. They weren't outright rejecters but they weren't spiritually hot either in the sense of being zealous and, and fervent towards him. And so Christ says that he's going to spit them out of, their, out of his mouth the same way that visitors spit out of their mouths the, the, the city's putrid water. It would appear that Jesus was, was telling this church that their lukewarmness revealed that they were not even genuine believers. He's going to reject them. He's going to spit it out, spit them out. And this view seems to be confirmed by what they actually said about themselves. Their, their own testimonies dig their, their grave. It reveals what they were like. Verse 17, because you say, this is what they said. This is their assessment of themselves. Doesn't sound like they were poor in spirit. Because you say, I'm rich and have become wealthy and have need of what? Nothing. And Jesus said, you don't know. See, all believers do know this, but they didn't know that they were wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. They thought everything was fine. They were in a church that told them everything was fine. A seeker-sensitive kind of church where we're being very sensitive to you. And eventually, what happened was they had just shut Christ out. As I said, it doesn't happen overnight, but eventually the church fills up with so many unbelievers. It's characterized by those who don't know Christ. And that's why, if you look in verse 20, you'll see the pathetic state of that church. And I think it's the pathetic state of the typical American evangelical church. Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and open the door, I'll come in to him and we'll dine with him and he with me. You know what our Lord is saying? I'm on the outside of the church. I'm knocking on the door. I'm not. This is not, although you can, I think, in one sense, use it this way to explain salvation. He's knocking on the door of your heart. That's not really what he's saying. I'm knocking on the church. I want in. You've excluded me. You're a bunch of people who are poor and wretched and blind, but you don't see it. I'm excluded. You're a church of unbelievers. And you don't even know it. I'm knocking. If anybody, anybody hears my voice, open up. I'll come in and I'll fellowship with you, even if it's not with the whole church. So this is a, a, a very, very indicting 
kind of statement. See, here was a church where Christ was on the outside, knocking on the door to be let in. Why? Because this was a church of self-absorbed unbelievers who thought they were wealthy when in reality they were bankrupt spiritually. Only they didn't know it. Do you know it? Do you know it in your own life? Have you come to that place in your spiritual life where you know that you are penniless? That you have acknowledged your, your bankruptcy before the Lord? Or else do you think that there's something you can bring to God? Baptism, church attendance, little stars that you got in Sunday school class. Have you entered the door of Christ's kingdom? And the only way to do that is by admitting that you are a wretched, vile sinner, the chief of sinners. You must bow low as you admit to God that you have nothing to offer him, and so you've come to him for his gift of eternal life. The riches, all of our riches are found in Christ. All of the riches in Christ. As that great great hymn of the faith, Rock of Ages, says, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. And we cling to the cross because that, that cross leads us to Christ, the Christ of the cross. And that's where we have our spiritual riches. And the great riches that he gives us is his righteousness. We have none. He is righteous. The moment you turn from your sin and you, and you trust him, acknowledging that you're bankrupt, he gives you the righteousness of Jesus Christ on your record. And with that righteousness and relationship, you get forgiveness, you get redemption, you get justification, you get everything in Christ but it's all of grace. It's all of grace. You first have to realize you have nothing to gain everything. If you think you have everything, you'll get nothing. You get nothing spiritually. I urge you, if you've never seen yourself like this, you need to, and you need to turn to Christ. Don't, don't be self-deceived thinking that you're in the kingdom when you're not. And then if you are a believer, if you are a believer, I understand that all of us struggle with humility. And, and pride. Let me give you a few thoughts, three basic thoughts on how do we cultivate humility in our lives as, as believers? How do we develop this? Let me give you these three simple things to do. First of all, focus on Jesus Christ and, and not yourself. Focus on Christ and not yourself. It's not about you. It's not about, about any of us. It's about Christ. Lose yourself in the wonder of, of who Christ is. Read books that tell you not, not how uh, Jesus ate in the first century, but read books that tell you about the attributes of God, about his character qualities. Read good books. We have our book table back here, and uh, we try to get good books that you should be exposed to. But read, read about him. Focus on him. Lose yourself in the wonder of, of him, not, not you, not what you can get from him, but who he is. Secondly, I would encourage you to ask questions about other people, not talk so much about ourselves. All of us, at least I should say most of us tend to do that. Scripture says esteem others more important than ourselves, and, and many of us do not do that. I, I have had the opportunity of being at, at banquets, not at Lakeside, but outside of Lakeside, where people don't know that I'm pastor of the church, or they don't know a whole lot about me when we sit down, and they don't know anything about me when we get up an hour or two later, because they have talked nonstop about themselves. And I have tried to cultivate this in my in my um, walk with the Lord. Don't always do this, but at banquets, I have tended to ask question after question after question, and nothing in return. Nothing in return. 
Ask questions about others. And then you know what? Listen for their answers. Listen so you can ask more questions. Our natural tendency is to talk about ourselves, think about ourselves, give details about ourselves. But if you're going to be moving in the direction of humility, speak about others and ask them. And then thirdly, don't look for honor from others. Don't, don't look for thanks and applause and commendations. They may come, but don't pursue them. If they come, say thank you and, and move on. But don't make that the goal of your life and then you get offended if they don't do that. That's just nothing but pride. That's nothing but pride. So you cultivate humility, lose yourself in the wonder of Jesus Christ, stop thinking about yourself. And, and that takes discipline of mind, I might add. That, that doesn't come naturally. Secondly, ask questions about others and genuinely mean it. And third, don't look for honor from others. Don't, don't pamper yourself. Don't feed the flesh this kind of stuff. Honor the Lord. Let's bow for prayer. Father, we thank you for teaching us by your Holy Spirit this very first beatitude. Lord, it, it rings so powerful to us, just as it uh, was in the first century. It's radical. It's revolutionary. We don't hear about this. It seems like everything today is about self and self-promotion and self-fulfillment and all of that. And, and yet, the standard never changes. The entrance into the kingdom is by humility. Lord, we, we are bankrupt sinners. We have nothing to offer you but our sin. Nothing, Lord. I pray for those who are bankrupt but don't know it, that you'll reveal it to them. Only you can. There's nothing that any of us can do to persuade someone that they are spiritually destitute. But only you can. And I pray for those here, Lord, who don't know you, that you'll do that work, marvelous work of grace in their lives. And Father, for those of us who do know you, I pray that we'll cultivate humility. It's easy to be self-centered. And we're fed so much that would encourage this. I, I pray that you will help us as the Sermon on the Mount calls us to be distinct and different from the world that we live in. Help us, Lord, to lose ourselves in the, in the thrill and joy of knowing about you to esteem others more important than ourselves, and to, to not seek honor and glory, but to seek your honor and glory. And we pray this in your precious name. Amen. Amen. The humility that God requires is indeed a radical contrast from the pattern of the world and the desires of our own heart. It requires a conscious effort on our part to yield ourselves and our ambitions to our Savior and King. But with the help of God's Spirit, we can live as those who are poor in spirit. Recently, Pastor Steve shared some thoughts from his own heart concerning the power and the importance of the Word of God. His comments explain why the teaching found here on Verse by Verse emphasizes the Scripture to the degree that it does. Let's listen. We believe that the Word of God has answers for problems. We know that life has stresses, life has pressures. We're looking for answers. We believe that the place to look is the Word of God, and we are uh, grateful every time we hear that someone is listening to the radio, and uh, our program has been transformed by, by Scripture because uh, the Word of God is not only inspired, but Paul said it is profitable, and it will transform lives. So we're grateful that uh, we could come into your home, into your car, and, and help you deal with life's pressures. As Pastor Steve indicated, it is a true joy for us to be able to provide this sound biblical teaching on a regular basis. 
If you or a loved one has been strengthened by the teaching of God's Word, would you prayerfully consider standing with us financially as we broadcast these biblical programs? Help us to continue to provide the life-changing truth of God to the thousands who are listening. You can get more information on how to partner with us by calling our phone number, 727-239-0306. Now, just a reminder, we also have a website that provides more information about the ministry of Verse by Verse, as well as a large audio archive where you can listen to our previous broadcasts, even ones that were aired years ago. It's a great resource for learning more about the Bible and saturating your life with wisdom from God's Word. The address of that website is versebyverseradio.org. In our next broadcast, we will be examining a statement of Jesus that seems to be contradictory. How is it possible that those who mourn are blessed? Pastor Steve will be dealing with this